Hey folks, thanks for sticking with us here at Sorry Honey, I have to take this. What started as a random green box generator item has turned into our next op, Goodfellow, which I will let you dive into in just a sec. We've been building to this one a bit, and I really, really hope you enjoy this because writing it was uh, very, very fun. Pure original Sorry Honey here. Special thanks to those supporting us on coffee.com slash sorry honey. It really means everything to me in the cast. I see those reviews popping up also, and it's really helping get the word out. So keep on keeping on because we are pure grassroots here, baby. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening and welcome to Operation Goodfellow. Hello? What time is it? Who is it? Um, I don't know. I... Situation. Green. Wicked. Dragonfly. Sorry, honey. I have to take this. Let's go ahead and jump right in here. Weeks have passed since your time in Northampton, Massachusetts, and things have not been so easy since what you experienced working against the nefarious forces at play in the Pioneer Valley. Before we dip in and see what each one of your agents has been personally experiencing in this interim period, I think we need to first check on what's, what's left behind when an agent falls. The scene is a dark office, filled with clouds of smoke. Two individuals are silhouetted as they sit across from one another at a large, cluttered desk. File cabinets surround them, fit to burst. It is a small, claustrophobic room that reeks of tar, takeout containers, and sweat. Another training accident? Please tell me some effort is being made on this. She had a lot of friends in the bureau who share a habit for sticking their noses in the wrong places. The cover's solid. Body in the casket is a working girl from the Valley Res. AD has already visited the sisters, shed the necessary tears. And her buddy's back at the office? Well, both good candidates for the program, to be honest. Stop it. Have they been handled or not? <sighs> no need yet. I'll add it to the list of shit we throw to Snedeker to keep an eye on. He's a bleeding arm. I don't trust him. Hell, I hope my CO at least pretends to care when my team decides to leave me to burn in a two-block residential fire. Anything from the director on what actually happened? Well, apparently she went heroically. Kept something 
wrong off the others so they could finish the job. <laughs> Isn't it always that heroic? No. No, it, it, it really isn't. <sighs> okay, who's next? Agent Prentice, you also experienced incredible personal hardship during this last operation. What happens during the time between operations? So a few prickly weeks after returning from the last opera go by, Dr. Hampson had a tough time explaining the wounds he incurred when he regretfully broke from the group in that strange doctor's office. and had a tough time really just getting along with with his other two colleagues in this in this time being and then he saw it coming a mile away team meeting scheduling requests to discuss operating procedures going forward light on details a time stamp of notice really the partners didn't schedule team meetings this is fucking bush league Dr. Hampson began immediately firing up an email stating his intent to separate from the partnership. He wasn't going to give doctors Pastor and Ferrati the satisfaction of putting that final nail in the coffin of his partnership in person. Dr. Hampson wasn't going to qu go quietly either. He'd be taking the free plastic surgery for disfigured troops government tax write-off program with him. It was all Dr. Hampson's effort and paperwork to get the program established after all, and it had paid dividends for the practice spreading goodwill with the community, spreading their stellar work far and wide to rake in high-paying customers across the U.S. No, they weren't going to like that, but you don't get a fuck with Dr. Hampson and walk away clean, holding on to his prize. You don't get to fuck with me, bitches. I've got to make this good, respectful, laden with the barbs it needs. My esteemed collaborators, no, not quite right. My illustrious colleagues. <laughs> That'll do. Dr. Everett Hansen spent the next few hours crafting his email and firing his old lawyer and finding a new high-powered one, Mike DeLuna, who called him back to get legal proceedings started. He really was worth every bit of his retainer fee, and he sent a second round draft email for Everett to approve. Hey, looks good, Mike. Just one thing. Uh, can you serve them in the middle of the night for that added fuck you? Uh-huh. I don't care about added costs, Mike. Just make it happen. Thanks. On his way back to his condo, Dr. Everett dictates to his phone. Gotta find a new practice location. Uh, don't use the realtor you used for the old practice. Can't trust you won't go blabbing to the dipshit twins. Gotta get movers to move my stuff to the new location. And quick. Gotta find a new quality recruiting service for new secretary, nurses, etc. Again, can't trust anyone from the old practice. Can't trust the old service either. You know what? Scratch that on movers. I'll buy all new stuff. I'll only take my computer and paperwork. I'll have to get the service to check my computer for bugs. I can't trust they're spying on me. And on Dr. Everett Hampson goes. A whirlwind of spite tearing through his mind over the next few weeks as legal proceedings move forward. Dr. Hampson ignores the pleas from Drs. Pastor and Ferrati to stop this nonsense and come talk to them. Not once have they admitted that they're just trying to see me in person to plunge the dagger. Not fucking once. Unbelievable fucking cowards, he spits out in his native Czech tongue. A language he hasn't spoken in years and honestly barely remembers but it just kind of slips out unbidden, taking him by surprise and disgust a little bit. And that's where we'll leave him off building his new practice. So it sounds like he is not just suffering from perhaps some traumas, but maybe fulfilling some motivations, maybe expanding his practice and enriching himself. I think that was one of yours. Let yeah, that's correct. Double check. Be the best damn surgeon money can buy, perhaps. I'm thinking that it can easily fall into there because you, you can no longer achieve that with these lodestones around your neck. Yes, indeed. Did you guys like that lodestone uh, yeah. callback? I hope you did. I'm making one right now. Um, Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is a sanity roll, so please roll that for me. When making a lodestone, 
Is mm-hmm. the process called catching loads? For the lodestone, yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. That's, that's like a step. Yeah. It's step three, step. catch loads. Mm-hmm. Cool. Why don't I have the home scene rules up for home scenes, guys? <laughs> Why did I not? Oh, I'm, I'm glad you're not prepared. Started. Because that makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> you failed. Of course. And I believe for this, that does not give you any sanity. Let me double check. Yeah, so personal motivation fulfillment. That's going to be basically a zero, but you're going to reduce one bond other than a delta green bond by one. <laughs> Beautiful. Which I think works perfectly for what you just narrated. So that's a mod down to uh, two. Yeah, it's going to be hard for you to project, but that's the idea. Yep. We're not going to cover how you get contacted by delta green just yet. We're going to move on to Paris and his home scene. After everything in Northampton, facing down an impossibility on his own and making a deal with the devil, Paris goes back to Camp Pendleton to convalesce at the base hospital. A few of the other Marines, new guys he didn't really know, stopped in to see which sergeant had survived a bear attack while camping. His reputation grew, as did the respect of his peers. But Paris wasn't interested in making new friends. In fact, he wasn't much interested in his old friends either. He shut down, refusing to answer phone calls. He just wanted to rest. In fact, one of his fellow Univets, Connor O'Donnell, stopped by one afternoon and found Paris just sitting on the front porch. Half-consumed beer sitting by his foot, half-smoked cigarette sitting on his chair, and Paris just staring off in the distance. When Connor said, hey man, how you doing? Paris almost seemed surprised that he was there. Didn't he, like he didn't notice Connor walking up. Connor looks at him and says, what happened to your arm? Paris looks up and just says, you know, oh, it's a bear attack. Connor knows when Paris is lying. He'd known him for a long time. They'd served together. They'd been through a lot together. And he knew he was lying to him just then. And he says, Paris, seriously, what happened to your arm? You got to tell me. Paris kind of just eyes at him all of a sudden, looks furious, angry, staring him down and says, I told you, it was a bear attack. Just leave it, okay? Paris didn't seem like the guy that Connor remembered. Connor asked him to go out. Paris tells him, no, I've got things going on. I'm working on, working on some projects. Refuses to elaborate, just keeps to himself. Paris looks at him and says, Connor, I'll call you later, man. Thanks for stopping by. Connor's like, yeah, all right. Fine, see you around. And as Connor, before Connor even turns to uh, walk away, it looks like Paris has just drifted back off to wherever he was. Sees him pick up that half-consumed beer, and gets about halfway to his mouth, sets it back down, almost almost as if he forgot it was there. Paris is spending some time in seclusion, trying to deal with uh, what happened to him. So that's gonna fall under our back to nature category. So go ahead and reduce one bond, other than a delta green bond, by one, and roll a sanity for me. And I'm gonna do a slight retcon. I'm gonna switch the scores on one. I'm gonna have Connor O'Donnell be the one, so this ruins the bond, that interaction, basically. You you lose Connor yeah. as, a, as a potential, got it, exactly. okay. So we're gonna, we're gonna wipe him out. So I'll just delete that now, effectively. Uh, just make it zero. We want to always remember the people we shit on. People that we have, <laughs> we shit. People we have uh, left behind. Exactly. All right, that's a critical success. That's actually going to be four sanity that you get added back to your score for withdrawing like this, coming to terms with what you've been through. What else, do, what else does Paris do? So after a few weeks of this self-imposed isolation, he immediately procures a ticket to New York, clutching the message given to him by a strangely accented character during his one good memory during the last year. Right, so when he was in the islands on the beach relaxing, he was approached by a strange individual, someone he remembered from what he was hoping was a dream, right? Where somebody had kidnapped him, forced him at gunpoint to do something inexplicable. Let's let's follow that thread, John. Let's do it. All right, so Paris hops on a plane to uh, New York City. I believe is an address, right? That's what he had. Yeah. So let me step in here. The office building from the address that you were given. Well, it holds mostly private financial advisors, insurance lawyers, and one commercial accounting service. Now, Paris, you called ahead using your real name, David Trace, and the aforementioned number given to you so many weeks ago. The woman who scheduled your session said that you had reached Nucleosis, a psychological studies group. Now they had been waiting on your call having a long-standing order to perform a basic questionnaire battery on behalf of a client. So now, it's a very small room that they have you waiting in, but it is delicately, tastefully arranged and decorated. It's almost homey. The table that you now have your elbows propped up on is a glossy, modern oak. The rug beneath you is chic and colorful shag. The art on the walls is abstract, but uh, they do seem to convey a deep emotion, at least in you. Right now, the 
spatter of red and black posted above the room's only door is working to enhance your impatience. Now, you also can't help but continually glance at the lefternmost wall. It's an obvious one-way glass observation panel. In fact, it's so heavily tinted that you cannot even make out a silhouette on the other side, if there even is one. Finally, the door opens. A young woman walks in, definitely not the receptionist who took down your information. She's dressed in an anachronistic but stunning black cloth dress with a button collar that climbs up her elegant neck and ends below her sharp angled chin. Her face is a pale and symmetrical oval, giving her the entire appearance of someone dressed for a 19th century funeral. You are taken aback by her perfect beauty, realizing she wears no makeup to enhance her natural features. Her dark hair cascades down and frames her exquisite face, moving slightly as she closes the door and takes a seat across from yours. Hello, David. I'm Charlotte. I'm going to present some situations to you. Just respond with the first notion that comes to your mind. There are no right or wrong answers, but answer speed is part of the evaluation. Do you understand? What is this, some kind of psych test? Something like that. Yeah, all right. She nods. She hasn't brought in any papers, a computer, nothing at all. She just stares at you, unblinking. Can I roll a human to try to get a sense of intention? You can always roll a human anytime. I'd love to roll a human here. I failed. 96 out of 23. She's very hard to read. In fact, it seems like she's emotionless. Can I roll a swim here to try that again? Uh, to try the human throwback. again? <laughs> that was a bad joke, sorry. That's a throwback. Hey, throwback. Hey, never mind. I'm still warming up here. Still warming up. I thought it was All a right, very good joke, John. It's a great joke, sir. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. And if Chris doesn't leave it in, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> it's your birthday. Someone gives you a black, rubbery wallet. It's made from seal skin. Uh, who gives it to me? Someone. Yeah, that's nice, I guess. Describe in single words only the good things that come into your mind about your mother. Past. Are you sure? Yeah, she doesn't have to deal with all the shit that we're dealing with now. So it would be a good word to describe her. Free. Why don't you like cats? Who said I don't like cats? You're in a cathedral. The Eucharist is underway. When it's your turn, you see that the wafer is a small clump of human hair in the shape of a seven-pointed star. What the fuck is this? Please answer. I Put yourself in a hypothetical situation. Okay, yeah, so I'm there. It's gross. I'm not going to eat it. Who's handing- I look at the person that's handing- who's handing it to me? Who's trying to hit, feed me hair? We'll move to the next question. David, a teacher calls you stupid in front of the rest of the class. Look, I know where I stand, so it doesn't- whatever. You're crying. Why matter. is that? Next question. Please respond. There are no passes or skipping of the questions or the scenarios. Yeah, well, look, I- I, I mean, I could tell you the last time I cried. She stares at you. You know, when you- when you're holding your- when trying to hold someone together, who's dying in your arms, someone you've been through it with, someone who's, who's been a brother to you. Yeah, that'll do it. It's a fair reason. Imagine that you're lost in a dark forest. You come upon a frightened young girl. A pack of wild wolves has surrounded her, but then you realize she's host to many parasites. Would you save her? Alien parasites or just regular parasites? She just stares at you. I mean, it just depends on the parasite, let's be honest. If it's, if it's the kind that's not supposed to be around, I'd probably help the wolves. But uh, if I know this girl's benign, it's just, she's just sick. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll help her. I'll take the wolves out. Picture your mother and the house she grew up in. She looks at you disappointed and tells you that she doesn't love you. She's never loved you and she regrets ever having you. Your brother is the divine one, not you. The divine. Look, I traveled a long way for this. Okay, y'all reached out to me. Look, what are we doing here? This is an emotional response test, David. Please respond. Okay, please respond. Please respond. Got it. Sorry. Yeah, it's fine. Whatever. I mean, I don't know. A friend owes you money and claims to be broke. You notice this same friend wearing an expensive watch the next day. He asks if you've seen the yellow sign. What did you say? Do you need me to repeat the prompt? Uh, no. No, that's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I asked him about the watch. You know, where'd he get it from? You're in a park. You see a young girl flying a kite alone. The girl begins to wrap the line tightly around her neck. Her skin bleeds. Oh, I go to stop her. Thank you. That will be all, David. You may leave. The woman stands. She motions for you to leave through the room's door behind her. Just, just that? She nods. Just, you've been to hang about for, you know, I got a hotel for a couple nights. I can, 
like, head back to- You can stay in the city as long as you want, but our, our questionnaire is complete. Yeah, okay. Um, thanks for the opportunity, I guess. Uh, I'll stick around for a day or two, then I'm gonna head back. As you make your way to walk through the, the door, you finally think you can see some movement behind that one-way panel. Just a little bit. We're gonna move to Ryan's home scene now. I, I gotta ask, how do I do there? <laughs> that was real, uh, that's real uh, strange. <laughs> I don't think you could have done bad. <laughs> I think you might be playing a Lovecraft game of some they sort. They might think possibly. you're a replicant based on your answers. <laughs> oh, great. Okay, that was, that was a little, that's fun. I, I enjoyed that, but also like, oof, yeah. all right. Yeah, Ryan, I unfortunately, I have to, I have to, I have to start this off for you because some things happen to Ryan. He may need to respond to or, or change his his plans around. It started slowly, but the changes have become more and more profound, as if an invisible signal was given by the various corners of your biological systems to move forward with some inevitable grand plan. The oddities on your back, the new sleep schedule, the loss of your hair, the change to your physical features. You think back to those moments of horror, and you now smirk because that was nothing. You first notice that your nostrils no longer have access to your sinuses. They're just sealed up like unbroken skin had always been there your entire life. A few days later, your nose, the cartilage now plump and watery, sloughed off your face during a rare bout of sleep in a hotel overseas. Again, it was like your face never had a nose to begin with, just taut, pale skin over an inhuman skull, flat, alien features. Soon, both your ears did the same, the right shortly followed by the left though tiny holes remained on either side of your hairless skull. The strange blue nodules on your back also accelerated their growth. With a diabolical mixture of fear and uncertainty, you let them go on their merry way rather than trim them dutifully. They grew and stretched, joined and conjoined, twisted and interweaved. After two days, your right arm was encased in a net of the long blue tubules, appearing almost like an external network of veins. You finally slice them off with a room service steak knife, stuffing the mess of fibrous blue growths into a hotel dumpster. Your appetite changed as well. Nothing set before you seemed to elicit anything but nausea. You discovered that by leaving fresh or cooked meat out for several hours, you could only then begin to stomach it. Several days was even better. Despite the initial revulsion of putrefaction, you began to grow more and more accustomed, even ravenous, for these meals. Now, understandably, you retreated from your day job. The company was mostly on autopilot anyway, so it gave you time to absorb the psychological hit from the steady mutilation your body was going through. You experienced great anger at Delta Green, at Snedeker, at the world, then despair at the condition of your form. Finally, acceptance. To our beautiful audience, I had to have Michael roll a sanity check to determine the outcome of this off off the air, he did roll a critical success. And so what we are working with now is somebody who is making some very clear psychological choices about what's happening to them. So at the end of your sabbatical, Ryan, you felt reborn. And in many ways you were working with Chloe, your assistant remotely to enlist the aid of several prosthetic specialists in Dubai was the next step on your action list. You now wear an extremely convincing set of nose and ears, though applying them each morning is a bit of a pain. Otherwise, you feel extremely virile and energetic, more so than you have in years, especially after a meal. That's what I got for you, bud. Who dog? I love it, man. While Ryan is overseas, letting these changes occur in grim fascination, I'll say, he can't stop thinking about the experience he had in the, um, what was the bookstore called, Chris? Depths. In the depths of depths. And it's it's become an obsession of his to understand the, the ways in which a natural can open up the possibilities in his own life as he witnesses this alien transformation on his own body. He also can't shake the thought that the, that Dr. Pearl Isle must have been more than he appeared and Brian became obsessed with living forever, sustaining himself as he has already done beyond all odds to continue to fight the unnatural forces. He 
looks to perform another ritual, but is wary and aware that careful preparation must be done and that in order for it to yield results, he must be specific, but also fully invested in in the casting. When he travels to Dubai to have his prosthetics completed and is in that part of the world, his old and only true friend, Abdurrahman, messages him to meet up. Ryan hasn't thought about him in months and acquiesces out of, he doesn't even know why, but does decide to meet up. And in the conversation, hearing about Abdurrahman's family and the problems he's having at work, they're all just silly. They're, they're naive, like talking to a child. Ryan is disgusted that he once considered this person so close to him and, and worthy of his attention and love. Ryan also can't help but think that perhaps his old friend's life could have a greater purpose. If he's trying to understand a ritual that will extend his life so he can persist through eternity, perhaps the greatest gift that Abdurrahman can give to him is to enable the collection of that information. So Chris, this is where I have absolutely zero idea how to you know, narrate the actual facilitation here. But my idea was that if in sacrificing this dude from a kind of ritual components point of view is powerful and therefore more likely for it to this succeed. This particular ritual doesn't re- require um, the sacrifice of, of blood to be shed. Um, okay. This particular ritual is all about arranging things so that a pattern can be emerged and divined, right? You, so I feel you like may, I shouldn't your, do Your intention <laughs> might be to find a greater, I would say your intention should be finding a greater purpose for Abdul Rahman, as well as, as finding a way to unnaturally extend your life. And that would probably be what you want to ask the pattern to see if any clue on how to do such a thing, since you now feel only pity for this man, that that would probably be what, what you would want to make the focus of your ritual. Okay, then I'm gonna kind of re-narrate some of that and I'll let you make it make sense if that's cool. Just because I feel like I was being more foreboding than I would if... Well, you definitely said you want to sacrifice your friend to the darkness, which is dope. But I, I think this particular ritual will be more handy to tell you how to do that rather than actually be the mechanism for sacrifice, if that makes sense. It does. I guess my way of thinking about this is that I do want to bring his life greater purpose and ask that as part of the ritual. And then the ritual tells me I can use him as a sacrifice and Ryan's down with that. Oh, I rather see what you're saying. You're, me you're, presuming you're wanting, you, he'll be the it, sacrifice. I think that makes a little more it. sense. Okay. As, as Ryan catches up, with Abdul Rahman and hears about his life and his family and his problems at work, they're almost embarrassing. It's like talking to a child and Ryan's disgusted with how naive this man is. When he goes to cast the ritual, he's gathered items from all of his travels, as far flung from every corner of the globe and as unrelated as possible, giving himself the greatest chance of insight. And in doing so, he asks for asks for insight into how to sustain his life beyond his predestined years and give Abdurrahman a greater purpose in his own end of speech. Do you have any examples of the things from your travels that you'd like to give me so that I can potentially award you a bonus to this ritual role? A chime from a Tibetan monastery, a tie stolen from the closet of the CEO of his company, and a small artifact of the ruined site in Massachusetts from their last opera. Got it. A chunk of ruined concrete, perhaps. So you set these items on a table in a Dubai hotel in front of you alone and you begin staring at them letting your mind focus and unfocus trying to reach that mental state that you were plunged into against your will in depths knock your fingers against the chime create atonal reverberations you move the items around try to enter again this zen-like state of mind do you have on your character sheet the ritual I have a ritual thing, but it's got question marks. It looks clickable. Oh, awesome. So it made it question marks. That's amazing. All right, go ahead and click that to roll ritual. 
Am I allowed to know if I got any boons to it? You did not get a boon to it. Fuck you, Chris. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Those are random it's things. Not, it, they were random, but you'll get better at this. That's the whole point. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, so anyway, as, as you're looking at these items, you realize that you are just on the cusp of where you need to be, but you just, you're just not getting pushed over the cliff to that place. I'm being edged. (laughs) So when you fail a ritual roll, there are specific consequences for each ritual. This one allows you to go ahead and choose two options. One, you can accept failure and pay half the cost or you can force a connection to the unnatural by sacrificing one power permanently and succeed. It's up to you. I'll force it. You'll force it. All right. Your power is now at 15. Your power is now at 15. As you take every ounce of your innermost being, you plunge your consciousness forward into this unprecedented space. You can feel your innermost being move forward across some sort of cosmic chessboard. It's, It's a bizarre and strange feeling. It's exhilarating. You're going to spend 1d6 sanity. Go ahead and roll a 1d6 for me. If I had picked different items, could this have gone a different way? You may have passed the ritual roll. Yes. All right. So you are going to lose six sanity at once, which is not great. I'm mad. Just know I'm mad, Chris. (laughs) You're about to suffer. Not Ryan, uh, Michael. you're, You're about to suffer a temporary insanity. Oh, baby. Would you like to try and transfer that upon one of your bonds? No, man. A home scene is a fun... I think a home scene is a fun time to do that, no? Okay. (laughs) Sure, sure. Am I wrong? I think this is great. It feels like a lower consequence way to have a craziness, no? As you thrust your mind forward into this unmapped space, a space that you did not know existed between the cracks of what you thought was reality, a cavalcade of images begins to just shoot forth in front of your mind's eye. You can't make sense of them at first. You see screaming men and women being ripped apart, impaled upon great long spears, turning green and gangrenous over time, their bodies falling apart into clumps. You watch men and women drown themselves, staring at you with milky eyes from under some murky waves. You see Abdul Rahman watching you crying as he slowly walks forward into a algae covered lake and disappears beneath its tepid surface. As you realize that you've been in a strange reverie for maybe many, many minutes, screaming in your hotel room because someone's knocking on your door furiously, asking in a language that you're only somewhat familiar with if you're all right. You get up out of your your bed, swage the fears of the hotel staff that have tried to come to your aid, and you see that you have written in your own blood on the hotel wall something that means nothing to you. Lake Chimagua. Uh-oh. Blood blood runs down your left and right arms, bind them up quickly with what you have available here, bed sheets, your CEO's tie, and you stare at what you've written. How do you pronounce that? Or how do you spell that lake, Chris? C-H-I-M-A-G-U-A. This is really exciting. Continue. That's actually the end of your scene, unless you have something else that you want to let me know about. But but yeah, you've uh, you've gone through a, another interesting experience touching the unnatural. I apologize for asking this because I know you've explained this before. But when someone has a sanity break, that's because their sanity goes below their breaking point, right? Which just happened for me. So you actually lost five or more at once. Oh, that's why that happened? Is in a is a temporary insanity. It's an acute episode of either fight, flight, or faint. Okay. 
And so I had you go to fight and uh, had you screaming the entire time you were suffering from these hallucinations. Okay, that sounds good. Those are our home scenes in the bag for now. Getting a little bit, uh, home scenes are not as, as uh, you know, relaxing as they used to be, are they? Certainly not wholesome. Okay. <laughs> It's certainly not wholesome, that's for sure. I mean, I, I literally spent my last one on the beach drinking cocktails. And now, I'm... Let's take this time now to introduce a new member to the cast. Marconi is joining us for Operation Goodfellow. Marconi, would you like to introduce yourself and your character just really briefly before we jump into, well, how Delta Green contacts him? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Marconi. Thanks so much for having me. I've played with Eric and I've played with um, God, John and I played with, you know, fucking A. I forgot, forgot Chris's name in the moment. <laughs> I'm such a, I'm no one such remembers an my name. Um, <laughs> anyways, that was an embarrassing start. If you wanted to restart, <laughs> no, it, it was, it was very embarrassing. I even been writing a little notes on a notepad. So be like, don't be embarrassing. Uh, but here we are. Um, and that's, and, and that's you, my yeah, life. Yeah. That's my that's my that's my stead. Um, yeah, excited to play with you guys. Um, I haven't caught up fully with the story because it hasn't been released yet. So um, I love coming in confused and uh, getting to play with monster people. So that's great. So uh, Chris, do do we say our real names in in like this kind of out of character? I mean, yeah. If you if you want to let let us know about that, you know, in this in this scene, you're totally welcome to. Or if you want to be incredibly mysterious in a meta fashion, you can stick oh, to no, your code name. Oh no, no, I don't want to upset anyone, Eric. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. All right. Uh, do you want me to like start with like a what a day in a life is? Yeah. Let's get to let's just briefly get to know this fella. Okay. So Andy T Higgins wakes up every morning in his full body pajama slips on his slippers and goes over to his cat. Mrs. Peppermint is really Andy's real reason for living in life. The only reason to work is to make sure that she's happy and content because she's perfect and Andy loves her the way that only a, a cat lover can really love a cat. Andy knows that people say that people love cats because of that bacteria or virus that's in their, their feces, right? That gets into your bloodstream, that infects your brain, that makes you love cats. But Andy doesn't think that's true. Yeah. At, that's the one, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he thinks that it's just real love, which it is because cats are wonderful. I'm just rambling here now. Uh, so. <laughs> it, as as your character would do yeah, about his cat. Absolutely. About cats. <laughs> uh, and he grabs a, a, a glass of coffee, takes a big sip out of it, and thinks about his drive today. The drive's been getting a little bit longer every day to go to the National Archives. And he's an archivist, and he sits in a big, dark basement, pretty much, sorting files, sorting paperwork, recently really just digitizing things, bringing it on this cloud, as it were. And he doesn't care. He puts in his eight hours, he checks out, he comes home. That's the kind of life that Andy wants to live. He used to have an exciting life. He prefers it quiet and consistent from now on. Andy. Well, unfortunately, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, please. no, go, go ahead. I think we're going to the same place, so go ahead. <laughs> unfortunately, I think Delta Green has other plans for Andy. Did you want to give us an idea of how the program might contact somebody like him to get him out into the field? Yeah, absolutely. Andy comes into the office, has a cup with his boss, Philip, who is kind of his only friend, really, other than his bird watching buddy. He goes back into his office around 10 when he's ready to work. He starts filing paperwork, scanning documents, and someone comes in, someone he hasn't really seen around before, and drops a box right on his table. He kind of sits there and stares at it. There's a green triangle right on right on the side. No other marking, no classification, no purpose. Do I digitize this? Do I stack it? Nope, just a green triangle. He opens it up and inside there's a burner phone. He flips it, there's one saved number in it. And underneath that phone, there's a cocktail napkin. This says, nap time is over. Agent Tiberius sighs. Ah, shit. I thought this was done. He uh, takes the rest of the day off goes into an empty parking lot and makes a call. The phone rings about 15 times, seemingly going through several chains as it clicks and switches to different tones, until finally someone picks up on the other end. Agent Tiberius does not recognize the voice. This is Snedeker. I'm gonna be your case officer for this opera. 
You're to make your way to Tijuana. Two days to meet with a ground contact, name of Fabian. You'll find Fabian, Avenida Revolucion, in a bar called Dali. Meet him around 2 p.m., please. I'm going to go ahead and send you two phone numbers. If the first does not work, the second will. You can use those to contact me if you need anything, but your ground contact should be able to handle the majority of what you require. Agent, do you have any questions for me about what I'm telling you? Well, hell, I, I figure a hello, how are you? I don't know, man. All right, yeah, uh, do, do you, uh, is there a specific mode of transportation I'm supposed to be taking? Is there a unmarked van out in the desert I'm supposed to get into or whatnot? I uh, would recommend setting up your own travel arrangements. Probably want to stick with something formal. Ah, we're going old school. All right. Well, I'll be there. Who's the who's my ground contact? Again, that name is Fabian. You'll be meeting three other operatives as well. You've not worked with them before. I have instructed them to show you the utmost courtesy. You will be their spash. And you couldn't find anyone else? Welcome to the program. I know it's been a while, but you're needed. Your country needs you. All right, I'll be there. And he uh, he hangs up. No, no hello, no goodbye. You know, Got that's it. fair. <laughs> yeah, one to one to one now. <laughs> cool. How does uh, how does Tiberius make his way down to Tijuana? Does he bring anything with him? What what do I need to know? So Agent Tiberius will we'll, uh, fly down to South Texas, that area. So I figured he probably has a cousin or something that he could go to and then rent a car and drive down into Mexico. He's going to be taking these tools of his trade, his gloves, his uh, his glasses, his magnifying glass, a, a film camera, and uh, and that's it. No, no weapons. He has a weapon, but I don't think he wants to check that at the airport. So he figures there, if he's coming in as a specialist, he's not going to need to be shooting at anything. Plus, it's been a while. My other three agents, we're going to actually gloss over the Delta Green call that each one of you inevitably will receive. dare you? Do you have something amazing for me? If you have something amazing, I mean, last time you told me like you got a- Farted one out, yeah. What, what was it? Yeah, you farted one out. So I, I didn't, I wanted to avoid such wow. such, such charts for this particular- You don't want these sloppy ones, huh? <laughs> no, not not okay. those. Chris, no, can, you, you, can you say the, can you say the bar name again? My like connection kind of dropped off right when you said it. Yeah, it, it, Discord likes to do that with really important clues. <laughs> It's bar, it's bar Dali, so like Salvador Dali. Ah, okay. A clue. Mm -hmm. A clue. A clue. <laughs> so yeah, you three are contacted through normal channels by Snedeker, a very familiar case officer. You are each told, just like Agent Tiberius, to make your own way down to TJ, paying special attention to maybe problems you might have going over the border if it's called for. You are to meet a contact named Fabian in Bar Dali in two days at 2 p.m. And you will be meeting a specialist, Agent Tiberius, as well. And you're to show him all due courtesy. Whatever that means. If you have any questions for Snedeker, I'm willing to uh, to run that scene. Why Tijuana? I'm sorry? Why, Why Tijuana? Tijuana? Yeah, it's not US jurisdiction. The U.S. only does operations inside of the United States. They've never done an operation outside of domestic <laughs> I, I borders. I'm trying to, trying to figure out something snarky yeah. to say. I like to think that Eric just got him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I fucked your whole op up. <laughs> yeah, he fucked uh, your whole up. Like we'll, uh, leave this, we'll leave this to I'll the Mexican you army. You're right. <laughs> We're pulling out, guys. <laughs> We didn't or, think it through. Or this is another clue. Agent, that's where your contact is. So you'll be heading there to meet him. All right. Ryan is going to send a text message to Prentice in Paris saying, getting your weapons into Mexico is going to be a bitch. If you want to meet me at Teterboro Airport tomorrow at 3 p.m., I'm taking a private plane to Tijuana and am happy to escort you both as well. Thumbs up emoji. Oh, nice. <laughs> Paris text back. I was just going to ride a boat, but uh, yeah, that sounds preferable. What do y'all bring that I need to know about across the border on this private jet chartered by Ryan? Ryan's going to bring his Desert Eagle and his Kevlar vest, as well as all of his other normal things like lighter, lock picking kit, all of the, the odds all and the ends of a mess. Yes, yes. <laughs> Paris, Prentice, anything weird that I need to know about? Prentice will bring his usual kit. 
nothing out of the ordinary. Yeah, Paris is bringing just... He's adding a pistol, some demolition equipment. Grenades, brother. Oh. Bring grenades. Do you bring bring some C4 or plastique or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my. So probably like a... He's going to bring like a grenade or two and maybe some, maybe some C4, but... What kind of what kind uh, of grenades? Stuff that, uh, I guess the explodey kind, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> what is, it's important. Know. It's important to know. These are going to be plasma <laughs> grenades. Oh, for, for uh, super mutants. Call these crack crack grenades, just in case I have to face some space orcs. Okay. Deal with that. No, let's do uh, just just basic, basic fragmentation grenades. Fragmentation so here's a little it. bit no of problem. a genuine question: Is it possible to put C4 into paintballs and then like paintball the side of a building and then blow it up that way? No, you would need. To, well, I mean, yeah, you could use the paintball Wouldn't gun to neat? plant the C4, but you would still have to go to each little ball yeah, and put a, yeah. you know, a electrode in there. Or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Sure, but like, mm-hmm. you're telling me that I can't simulate one, and if they're close enough together, the explosion won't change? I don't think that C4 will blow up. It will just burn. Paris puts back his paintball gun. <laughs> <laughs> would have been fun. He does bring the the little Altoid tin. Of, ah, uh, tobacco. Tobacco, yes. Tobacco I was going to ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does bring the tobacco tin of mm-hmm. uh, the bluey, glowy dust. But otherwise, it's kind of a standard. Not leave anything behind this time. So he's, br- he's bringing his gear. And and my elder elder sign wand that gives me plus five to mythos. <laughs> it's in my inventory, Chris. I- <laughs> All of you make arrangements to get across the border and meet with this contact this bar in Tijuana. Would any of your characters be familiar with this town, this city? I think Paris would. Because he lives, lives in California, based out of California. You know, mm-hmm. Probably popped probably from time to time. goes down to TJ every once in a while and has some fun. <laughs> Got Prentice it. is more of a TJ, yes, Bahamas kind of guy. Got it. That makes sense too. Tiberius has been there, but it's been a minute. Ryan uh, has interacted with the cartel before, but nothing specifically in Tijuana. Very interesting. Just kidding. No, he hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my 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 three uh, veteran agents, at least veteran with uh, me and in, in my operations, you all arrive, of course, by the same mode of transportation and land on a nice private airstrip. The wealth that Ryan seems to command is curious to both you, Prentice, and Paris, but you don't necessarily ask directly what Ryan's business might really be. Instead, you count your stars because you have a lot of equipment you've been able to bring over the border quite easily. And as you lug all of your equipment off of the plane, make arrangements to go into the city proper, you just let me know what your plan is. Do we want to grab a nice hotel, leave our stuff there, or do we want to come in strapped and carrying duffel bags into Bar Dali? Prentice would want a hotel and drop his stuff off. Really only bring the gun and his tucked into his blazer. Ryan's doing the same. Paris looks over to Ryan and says, Well, Ryan, you got us a plane. Are there five-star accommodations again? I think Tijuana's only got four, but yeah, I've got us set up. Nice. So there's a decent hotel that you go ahead and check into, leave your more bulky gear behind, and you go ahead and carry your sidearms, get a quick, very cheap cab or Uber to Bardali, which is, again, on Avenida Revolucion. Major, major, very busy touristy area. Super colorful. I see it. I feel so immersed. This is cool. Yeah, right? Is this an AI image? <laughs> no, no. This is this is a real place in, in Tijuana. Have you been there? I have. Have you been to Lake Chimagua? Physically? I have. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so you three are strolling down the busy, touristy streets of Avenida Revolucion towards Dali. Now, it's a place that purportedly is named for the artist, right? but the interior bears little resemblance to a surrealist work. It's cluttered, it's colorful, it's fitted with a small makeshift live music stage. The bar is decorated with patterned LED lights, mismatched bar furniture. It's frequented right now by what seems like a very cheerful, half-drunk crowd of patrons. There are large television sets showing a number of ongoing football games. As the staff hurries to deliver food and surprisingly tall steins of craft beer across a packed floor. You three look around. You see something that you're getting used to. In fact, you're quite used to it now. A man in a suit in a booth on the far side of the bar near the empty music stage. The man has a deep olive complexion. He wears a thick, well-groomed beard, and he's, again, wearing a uh, navy suit. Ryan, you, across the room, see that it's a Brioni. His long hair is pulled into a bun, and his back is to an advertisement-cluttered wall. You see he's nursing an awkwardly tall pilsner glass. It's full of effervescent golden liquid. 
His right hand raises, waves to you slightly. space made? From space? <laughs> Want to take a drink? What space made allows you to travel through the inhospitable depths of space. Oh, then it's definitely space made. <laughs> All right, I leave, I leave your choice to you. I assume you go over to join this gentleman? Yeah. Yes. As you get closer, moving through the crowded bar floor, Agent Paris, something dawns on you. This is the guy. This is the guy who approached you on the beach. This is the guy who held you at gunpoint. You get closer and closer. Sit down, grab a bevy, take a moment. Where where are you from? <laughs> Ryan says in disgust. <laughs> he motions to the empty chairs across from him. <laughs> Sorry, Chris, it was right there. <laughs> Ryan sits down. Paris sits down and uh, directly across from him puts a, a hand under his jacket on his sidearm. Just kind of eyes him. Prentice uh, looks around uncomfortably and nudges the seat out with his foot and uh, quickly sits himself down, looking both at Fabian and in turn Paris and, and Brian. Now we are waiting for one more, so why don't you go ahead and get a drink, intro yourselves, relax. What should we call you? I'm Fabian, Brian. Oh fuck, sorry. It's good to meet you. He puts his hand across the Can table. We that? <laughs> he puts his hand across the table to shake yours. Okay. Ryan shakes his hand back. How? How's? What's his grip? <laughs> can I roll human? Anytime. You can always roll human. That's there all. Roll human. I'm just kidding. How's his grip? He's got a strong grip. It's okay. it's uh it's not overbearing and it's and it's not weak or limp wrist. This man has shook a hand. You do not get to check that human, Prentice. Fine. <laughs> Ryan is going to order a drink from a passing waitress. They have a extensive menu. It's apparently one of the only bars that actually has independent craft beer in this town. But there's, of course, a full liquor bar as well. What would Voldemort drink? <laughs> Harry Potter's blood. <laughs> I order that one. <laughs> you, you grow in strength. <laughs> I grow in you strength. You wipe out all the alcohols. <laughs> <laughs> I grow in strength. That's so funny. Oh, do I need to specify what drink I order? No, no, I'm just waiting for the other agents. Do y'all just stare? Do y'all buy anything? Uh, I just Prentice need to kind of know how you sell it. through the menu and, and says, there's nothing here I'd drink. Fabian smiles. Sorry, Paris is actually staring. That's what he's doing. <laughs> he's just kind, of, just kind of sitting there staring at him, yeah. At this moment, Agent Tiberius, you are finally dropped off in front of this bar here on the bustling streets. And you walk through the open door into this colorful room. You scan over the half-drunk crowd and like clockwork, you spot a dour group of individuals tucked away in a corner, one in a very nice fitted suit who's smiling and drinking a very tall glass of beer. Agent Tiberius runs his hands across his gray and peppered brown hair when he sees Fabian. Got a look of like, this can't be. A little bit of a distant stare. He steps a couple steps back, gripping his bag a little harder, and then kind of straightens his, a little where Which my bag? tools are. I need my tools. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> he needs his tools. It's a little leather bag with my tools in it. He kind of straightens his brown off the rack suit straightens his tie that has a always has a bird on it. Today is a American Cardinal and he walks over through gritted teeth and walks at the table says Fabian. He's looked up as you approach. He says, "Tiberius, please take a seat. Join us." He kind of the last one we're waiting for. Like motions the people to scoot over with like his hands. You obviously can't see that. I wiggle my fingers a little bit and it's like trying to scoot in. As he's sitting down, do you guys scoot in, by the way? Prentice just frowns at him. Paris is not moving inch. Got it. He's gonna take a, as little edge as possible with like one butt cheek kind of thing until you move over. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he kind of just stares a little bleary eyed at uh, Fabian. All right, the whole gang is here. So I don't think we've all met Ryan, Paris, Prentice. I know you've worked together before. This is Tiberius. He motions for you to introduce yourselves. He kind of waves his hand vaguely. Howdy. You can call me Tybee. All right. We'll, we'll call you Tybee, Fabian says, smiling when no one speaks up immediately. Prentice just 
Excellent. Smirks. Tiberius <laughs> frowns when Fabian is sounding more like like their old buddies. Well, I do recommend getting a drink. You might you might feel like you need one after we get through a, the initial briefing here. Uh, I'll take a kicking chicken. Wild turkey. You order this from a passing wait staff member, and you're soon served the kicking chicken. He finishes it quickly. He makes a face like he doesn't drink very often. Another one is brought almost immediately to take its place. The wait staff here is quite attentive. He'll start sipping on this one. All right. Well, if that's the extent of our introductions, I understand. Let's get to it, shall we? He raises his eyebrows, gives y'all a moment to respond. That's what we're here for. Let's get to it. All right. Rowan Cook. You know him. You love him. Big bad rocket man who's going to get humanity to the stars and all that. He's got the investment money, but still hasn't seen a successful launch for years. Always in perpetual data gathering mode. Now, it turns out he's got something big planned. Maybe a payoff after all this waiting. Maybe he wants to unveil a new roadmap. Deep dive on some sort of sustainability initiative. Or chart a pathway to synergetic cooperation. Doesn't really matter which corpse speak sloganarian is going to be spouting. The important thing is he'll be doing it at the Space Tech Expo in Long Beach this year. Cook's usually a bit of a recluse, actually, when he isn't appearing in tabloids snogging a bat boy or humping a Bigfoot. So this is a big deal. Now, why do we care? Also turns out Cook is host to some sort of parasite. It's a slippery beast that our group has been keeping off American shores for decades. The thing in his head looks like a wicked dragonfly. It can move through walls and other matter. When he says the word dragonfly, he looks up at you, Paris, and then to you, Tiberius. Because of our mutual parasite inside our bloodstream? Correct. Yeah, that was, uh, he telepathically says just a kiss sound. Oh, okay. Like a you. fish, uh, yeah. like chef hand kiss sound? Yeah, yeah, but more, it's definitely very tender. Um, there's something going on. <laughs> wow, <there>. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tiberius and Marconi is interested. <laughs> <laughs> I reciprocate. Um, <laughs> so he says, the thing in his head looks like a wicked dragonfly. It can move through walls and other matter, and it can pop at just about anyone it can fly into. That's why when these hosts move onto our land, we send them a message right quick. The whole of the UK, and some of the EU, is compromised like this. That's why our little club doesn't farm ourselves out overseas, even when it's in our best interests. Moves his index finger around to circle the table. Wait, Chris, to make sure Michael isn't fully misunderstanding, what I've heard so far is that, like, this dude's a host to an unnatural parasite? Yeah, this guy's rolling this off as if it's just Bartok. Okay, but like that's pretty fucking crazy, right? It's insane what's happening cool, right cool, now. Cool, you, cool, you should be. Well, you I was making like, sure that like he's not some like fuck? bug expert and like he actually has like a genuine invasive species type of thing, and it's actually. Hey, maybe maybe that's what Agent Ryan thinks because the alternative just doesn't occur to him. So Fabian continues. The UK is off limits for us. It's been that way since '99. In case that's news for you, a lot of secrets they don't read us into until it matters. Though I bloody well think this one matters quite a bit. He smiles and looks at all of you. Takes a beat. Anyway, apparently our last few book squashing competitions haven't deterred the bloody mosquitoes and they're doing something right flashy. And risky. We'll be the ones to make them regret it. Now, I imagine you likely get called out to read a bunch of musty old books, draw pentagrams on haunted houses, rather than a gig like this. Well, welcome to the Pest Control Squad, lads. We're going bug hunting, and Cook is in our crosshairs. This is a two-team run. You'll have me and mine on your six the whole time, keeping you safe. You'll be confirming locations, and running interference don't a particularly distracting shindig. Cook has got going on in a convention suite set. My team will be the ones to extract his special passenger. Easy, in and out. And you won't even have to get your hands dirty. Easier said than done. He smiles and laughs. He takes a long sip from his drink. We're not going to go over the full plan now, but trust me when I say this is not our first time. Just happens this is a VIP with a decent security team, but it won't matter. Now, <laughs> not along as you glance at one another nervously. Need another drink now? I won't blame you. 